want to hear from you. And I pray that, that your word would have free course and be glorified this morning, that it, would, that it would go out and it would penetrate the hearts and lives of people, that it would convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and that lives would be changed and that people would be saved. And we love you, Lord. We thank you that you first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, it's good to, it's good to see everybody this morning. I, you know, I, I know a lot of you guys already, a lot of you guys already do this, but anytime we're in a verse-by-verse study of a book, man, I want to encourage you to read ahead, right? You're not, you're not cheating by reading ahead, and so I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to do that, man, the way that you can, I, I believe you're going to be able to understand what we're, what we're talking about and kind of where we're going even more if you're kind of already in the loop on what's going on in that passage. And hey, let's face it, we're usually only getting through a couple verses a week anyway, so you really don't have to read that far ahead. And so I, I, want to, I do want to encourage you, you to do that. Last week, I, I think we I think we set a record because we made it through eight verses last week. So, you know, you guys were listening fast last week and we kind of got through it. But, but as, we, as we studied those verses, we, we spent some time on, on this theme that we see throughout most of this book of 1 Thessalonians. And it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy's desire to, to see the Thessalonians and, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy's just their, their love for them and their passion for them. And, and there, there's this, they, we continue to see this theme of their inability to, to see them, but this desire for them to be able to get in front of them and actually see their face. And of course, that desire and that motivation and their inability to see them is the whole motivation for the book of 1 Thessalonians even being written in the first place. It's a pretty incredible thing. They wanted to see how they were doing. And so that's why we see in, in chapter 3 last week where Paul sends Timothy. And, and when Paul sends Timothy, he actually, this isn't the only time that Paul sends Timothy in an instance or in an occasion that's similar to this in the church epistles. And, and the main reason that we saw last week that he sends Timothy on these missions to check up on these churches is that nobody else cared for the people quite like Timothy cared for them. And, and, and we were seeing that last week. Everybody, is that everybody had plenty of care in their life. They weren't free from care. It's just that they cared for themselves and they didn't care for the things of Jesus Christ. And, and then last week we also saw, we, we saw that sometimes we've got some appointments. And these are appointments that are, are afflictions, and these are appointments are with tribulations, and these are things that we, we need to be mindful of. These are things that we need to be aware of, we were learning, and not only so that we're aware of them, but so that we can warn those that we're discipling, those that we're investing in, and we can talk to them about the inevitable trials and tribulations that are going to come down the pike. And, and so we left off as Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they just they began to talk about, man, how incredible it was and what a privilege it was for them to be able to be used in the lives of the Thessalonians and, and how incredible it was for them to be able to minister to the Thessalonians and to be able to watch them grow 
And, and, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're continuing to express this similar sentiment in these next few verses as well, and that's where we'll begin this morning. And so as we continue in chapter 3 this morning, first thing I want us to see is number one on your study sheet is the subject of their supplication. The subject of their supplication. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 9, last week we left off on verse 8 and, and we pick up this week in verse 9. It says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So, so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're, they're, they're filled with this thankfulness and they're, and they're filled with this joy as they pray. And, and, and as we saw last week from the previous verses in the chapter, that, that, that when, when Timothy went back and checked on the faith of the Thessalonians, that Timothy, man, he had brought back this, he brought back a good report. Uh, and, and Timothy told him about the Thessalonians' faith, and he, he told him about the Thessalonians' charity, and, and man, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were just comforted by hearing that, and it brought them joy and thankfulness. And then verse 10 tells us that in the midst of that, in the midst of that joy and thankfulness, they just came before the Lord, and they came before Him in prayer, and there were two things that they prayed for. And they were so passionate about these two things that they didn't just pray for them. They, they prayed for them exceedingly, verse 10 says. And, 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 they, and so exceedingly that they did it night and day, verse 10 tells us. And that verse 10 tells us. And that first thing is, letter A, to see them. That was the first thing that they so passionately prayed for, is they wanted to see them. That's what he says in, in verse 10. That, that he says in verse 10 that, that we might see your face, is what he says. They wanted to see him. And man, we, we've talked about this in past weeks. They, they wanted to see him so desperately. But as we saw before, Satan hindered them so that they couldn't do that because Satan understood the eternal nature of what was going on here. And so he intervened. And, and so Satan's trying to counter what God is doing in the lives of these Thessalonians. And, and as Paul, Silas, and Timothy express this love, and, and as they express this care for the Thessalonians, I, I can't help but, but bring you back to Paul, Silas, and Timothy's heart in the midst of this. They're praying exceedingly night and day, but what are they praying for? It's not about themselves, is it? All that they're praying about is for people. It's about, it's about other people. This is what they're praying about. And, and I can't help but bring that to light because as we study this book of 1 Thessalonians, you just continuously see that love that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had for these people all over these chapters. And I feel like after a while, you just start taking it for granted a little bit. But man, it's hard to miss these guys' heart when you're paying attention. And, 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 then, and then multiple times, in what's been less so far than three chapters in this book, 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're on record as, as praying for this group of believers. They're on record as praying for the Thessalonians. And what I want us to see is, is that we can tell a whole lot about ourselves by how we pray. Who's the focus of your prayers? Who's the subject of our supplication and all over this book, Paul, Silas, and Timothy's heart, it just keeps, it keeps shining through, all through it. But my fear is, as we continue to see this passion and this heart for people that they had, what my fear is, is that somehow, some way, in the midst of continuing to see that over and over again in these chapters, is that we've put these guys in such a super-Christian category that we actually end up missing out on what God is trying to teach us. These guys were fellow strugglers and human beings just like we are. Do you realize that? And, and what I wonder is, is that if maybe putting these guys in a category of a super Christian, maybe it's some sort of self-defense mechanism. Because if this behavior is unattainable for us in modern times and if it's this is just unrealistic to love people and to live life on mission like they did well then we're kind of off the hook aren't we I, I might as well be reading to you from a comic book about a fictitious superhero because when we're doing when we're done reading something like that man we may think it's cool we may be left with awe and amazement after reading that. But at the end of the day, we can't fly, so we don't have to leave with a changed life. And I'm afraid maybe we view them as super Christians because of the reality that we know in our own hearts. And it's that we're so incredibly far away from having a heart for people like Paul, Silas, and Timothy did, that again, it's, it's almost a defense mechanism. It's almost a, a coping mechanism. Listen, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were human beings like us. Now, now Paul certainly had a, a specific purpose from God in his life, but he wasn't given any more of the Holy Spirit on the inside of him than God gave to us the day that we got saved. So, so this, this heart for people that we see repeated in 1 Thessalonians, it's, it's not only is it not unattainable, it's, it's commanded. It's that, that same heart that we've comm been commanded as believers in Jesus Christ to have for other people. Paul, Silas, and Timothy prayed exceedingly night and day, and we learn a lot about them by seeing the subject of their prayers. Other people were the focus of their prayers and, and seeing those other people, the Thessalonians, seeing those other, other people was, was for a purpose they wanted to see them. And that purpose was letter B. It was, it was to perfect them. It was, it was to perfect them. And again, in verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 3, it says they, were, they, they wanted to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That's, that's what this thing was about. This is the subject of their prayers, to see the Thessalonians and then to perfect what was lacking in their faith. Now, now listen, 
Let's, let's think about this for just a second. The Thessalonians here, they're already pretty far down the road spiritually, weren't they? Last week, I, I briefly mentioned their, their faith, and, and I mentioned their, their charity. We've seen in past weeks, they were described as having a, a work of faith and a labor of love and patience of hope, and, and they, were, they were being used so much that the word of their faith, man, that thing had spread abroad, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, we're told. And, and so I want to ask you, if the ball was already rolling so well with the Thessalonians, I, I mean, the church of the Thessalonians so far in the three chapters that we've studied is described in ways that we could only hope and dream as a body of believers to be described. So if the ball was already rolling so well with the Thessalonians and there were other places on the planet still where they could go share the gospel, then why spend their time going back to perfect the church of the Thessalonians since they were already going so strong? That's a, I think that's a pretty logical question. You know what I mean? So if they're doing that good, then why not spread the wealth and get to some other cities that desperately need it? And I think we find the answer to that in 2 Timothy. In, it, it, I think we find the answer when we understand what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 2. Because listen closely to what he says. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see what Paul, Silas, and Timothy were doing and what this whole thing of discipleship is all about is committing the word of God to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you know what Paul, Silas, and Timothy found with some of the Thessalonians? They found not just any men, they found faithful men. You know what the problem is with committing the word of God to unfaithful people? They don't do anything with it. The word of God goes in their mind and it stops right there. But you know what you do when you find people that are faithful, like those that comprise the church of the Thessalonians? You commit the word to them, and you keep perfecting them. Because if they've proven to be faithful, then you can trust them with even more. And they'll not only apply what they're learning to their lives, but then they'll teach others also. That's why it makes sense to go back to Thessalonica, and that's what God has called us to do. When you find faithful men and women, you hang on to them, and you keep pouring into them. You disciple them. You keep investing in the ones that are faithful. And if you've ever discipled or, or attempted to disciple someone, you know that there are some that are faithful. And then there are others that for some reason, at some point along the way, you realize that they may not be faithful. They may be saved, but they're not very faithful. God makes us want, wants us to make wise investments with who we pour into and who we continue to invest God's word into. And, and man, maybe, maybe you've never really invested your life into someone and you say, I haven't learned enough 
or don't know enough yet to invest anything in anybody. One of these days, I'm going to start sharing my faith. But, but, here, but, but here's the thing about that. One of the primary purposes of someone else investing in us is so that we'll turn right around and invest whatever that is in others. And even if you don't know everything there is to know, what are you doing with what you do know? Because if you're saved, I know something that you know. You know what you know if you're saved? You know the gospel. What have you done with the gospel then? What have you done with what you do know? You see, there's an important principle that we glean when, when Jesus is given the, the parable of the unfaithful or the unjust steward in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Listen to what Jesus says. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. In other words, if we're faithful with the little that we have or the little that we know, then we'll be faithful with a lot that we have and a lot that we know. But if we're not faithful with the little that we have, then we're not going to be faithful with a lot anyway. So we've got to look at our lives and we've got to evaluate whether or not we've been faithful with what we have. And the Thessalonian believers, they were, they were faithful. And that's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy, instead of just continuing to go all over the place, which they did that too, but instead of only doing that with all their time, that's why they come back to Thessalonica and they're, and they're just praying and begging God that he'll allow them to do that because they found themselves some faithful men and women and they want to perfect them and they want to keep investing the word of God into them because they know they're going to apply it and they're going to share it, whatever we give them. But, but there's, there's something else I, I want us to see in the, in the midst of that, that that we're seeing in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3 here, which is the, is the subject of their supplication or the subject of their prayers. And what these prayers were all about, I want us to see this, what these prayers were all about that were filled with thanks and joy was connected to investing the Word of God into people. Okay, They're praying, please God, let, let us see these people. Despite the fact they're already strong, we, we know they're faithful, so let us go back and let us perfect what's lacking in their faith. This is what these brothers are constantly praying for. They're always praying for the spiritual, or they're always praying for the eternal. And man, understanding that, it should be convicting to us. Because, listen, it's been 168 hours since I was standing in this spot, and we were all gathered here together. I want us to ask ourselves something. How many out of the 168 were spent in prayer? And then I'll take it one step further. How many of those hours were spent in prayer about spiritual things? Listen, God is our Father. He wants to hear about all the things that are going on in our lives, the good and the bad and the health and the financial. He wants to hear every last bit of it, and you can go to him with that. 
And I have prayed for health issues in this church a lot, especially as of late. So there, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and certainly certain seasons it happens more than others, and that's great. But I also want us to ask ourselves, and I think we should, out of 168 hours last week, how many of those were spent in prayer about something that will outlive ourselves? Would you like to know how much time, on average, we invested in front of a screen? Based on the statistics, check this out, the average person spent seven hours a day last week, not a week, seven hours a day in front of a screen. Look it up. Three and a half hours a day watching TV, two and a half hours a day on social media, and about an hour playing video games. But we're so busy, we don't have time to talk to the creator of the universe that loves us so much that he came down from heaven and died for our sins. And for some reason, he wants to communicate with us and hear from us. But we're too busy. We find seven hours a day to entertain ourselves in front of a screen. But how much time do we talk to God? Most of the stuff on the screen isn't even real, y'all. It's make-believe. It's people pretending. Isn't that what acting is? I never got what the hype was. All right, so you're good at pretending to be somebody else. Should I be impressed? Like, we, we've got so much time to watch make-believe TV, play make-believe video games, keep up with people's make-believe lies that they portray on social media, and listen to make-believe news. But the, but the very God of the world wants to hear from us. And we don't have time. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not like some of those people. I don't spend seven hours a day. I mean, I don't pray much, but I only spent five and a half a day online. Listen, yeah. Listen, it isn't that we're too busy. We just don't care about the things of God. How much we pray and what we pray about, it tells us a whole lot about where we're at spiritually. Paul, Silas, and Timothy's prayers are consistently about people and ministering to them. And then next, I want us to see number two, the dependence of their direction. The dependence of their direction. And we see this in verse 11 of chapter 3, but let's get a, get a running start in verse 10 to grab more context. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Again, expressing that desire to see them and minister to them. And, and they're not sure exactly when that might happen. So in verse 11 they say, Now God himself, and our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way unto you. You see, what they're saying is, we're leaving it to God to direct our way unto you. We're dependent on God to direct our paths. They, they, were, they were submitting to God's direction in this whole matter. God, you direct when this... All works out to see the Thessalonians. You direct. 
that thing. And listen, that's a whole lot easier said than done in life. It, when you passionately want something to happen in your life, it isn't easy to just depend on God because we want what we want and we want it now, don't we? It's the most natural, innate thing in all the world. There is no child that on this planet that doesn't have to be taught that you can't have everything you want and you can't have everything you want right now. And as you get older, what you find out is sometimes you still need to be taught the same thing. And, and, and so in order to be dependent on God, like we see from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it's important that, that we, letter A, remember who God is. That we, letter A, remember who God is. Because this is exactly what Paul, Silas, and Timothy do as they're expressing this dependence upon God, as they're expressing that dependence and they're, they're submitting to God's will. They remind us, of who God is, and, and who God is, first of all, is He's our Father. He's our, he's our Father. You have a slide for that? There it is. He's, he's, our, he's our Father. In 1 Thessalonians 3.11, which we just read, I want to point out to you, He says, and, and now God Himself and our Father. And listen, as we depend on God's direction in our lives and we're, we're trying to wait on Him and we're trying to submit to Him, but by nature we want our things our way and we want them now, and we're catching ourselves feeling worried, we're catching ourselves feeling anxious in the midst of that, remember that the one that's in control is your Father. And oh man, if your earthly father did it right, knowing that means so much to you. But even if he didn't, listen, God wants to be that to you. He wants to relate to you as a father and someone that likely in many cases your earthly father never was. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 says, And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Oh my goodness, what an incredible thought that is. Can you believe that that is God's heart for us? In John chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Those that believe on his name are now sons of and daughters of God, and listen, he loves us not like a God who's ready to flick us off the planet every single time we do something wrong, but as a loving father. Not a God whose, whose favor you can never earn, but as a father who could never love you more than he does right now, no matter what you do or what you've done. We do what we do and we honor God with our lives because he loves us, not so he'll love us. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, it, it teaches us that, that your father, he knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. He already knows and he knows because he's God and he knows because he cares. And, and, and so Jesus says, now with that in mind, here's how you should pray. After this manner, pray, 
our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus says, before you ask him for whatever it is that you're asking him for, understand he already knows what you need, and then approach him as your Father. Man, it's a whole lot easier to be dependent on God's direction when you know that. Later in, in the same chapter of Matthew 6 and verse 25, he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Listen, he's your heavenly Father. And as your heavenly Father, he's even taken care of the measly birds. And, and these birds, they don't save up their food and, and store that stuff into barns. They're dependent on God each and every morning because they got nothing left each morning. And he takes care of them. So do you know how much more value you have than them? He's our father and we can depend on his direction. Because when you understand that and you understand the kind of father he is, you understand the love that the one directing you has for you. And then that changes everything. My, my, my dad went home to be with the Lord in February of last year. And, and like a lot of y'all know, he, he was a pastor. And if you ever heard him, man, could he preach. It, I'm, bi I'm biased, but to me, he'll always be the best that ever did it to me. And he was able to, he was able to hear me preach two different times. That's it. He was either not, in the, not living here or he was preaching too, and so it's hard to make it happen. But people would ask me, oh, man, I'll bet you were extra nervous when he was there. And interestingly enough, it, that's not the effect that it had on me, ever, actually. In fact, it was the opposite. I, I, felt, I felt strength, and I felt excitement. And the reason is because of the father that he was to me, because I knew when he was there, I had somebody there that was rooting for me like you couldn't believe, that loved me unconditionally, whether it went good or whether it went bad. Someone that would do anything for me and what's what's best for me. Someone that didn't want me to fall, but that if I did, he'd be the first one there to help me get up. And someone that had my back no matter what. And I'm telling you that because that's how God is with us. My earthly father was just picturing our heavenly father. And our heavenly father is all of those things and he's so much more. And that's who it is that God wants to remind us in these verses that we're trusting to direct our way in our life. It's not some God in the sky that doesn't give a rip. It's not a guy who looks at us as measly old humans that we're depending on to direct our way. No, it's, it's our Father. Our Father is the one that we're depending on to direct our way. So we need to remember who it is that we're depending on for direction in our lives. And, and we see that He's our Father. And then next in these verses, we see number two, that He's our Savior. 
He's our Savior. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 in, in verse 11 he says, now, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. He reminds us, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's our Savior. He's the one we're depending on for direction in our lives. In case we've forgotten, he's the one who loved us so much that he came down on this planet and died for us. Paul writes in, to Titus in, in Titus chapter 3, in verse 3, and, and he describes his life before Christ here. And, and as this, this description sounds a whole lot like a lot of our lives before Christ. And then he describes our, our Savior's intervention. And here's what he says. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And, and that describes many of us before Christ as well. But will you listen to what happened next? But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He's the one, according to verse 4, that came to us with kindness and He came to us with love. And even though we weren't righteous, God showed us mercy and He, and he poured it out onto us abundantly. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, verse, verse 6 says, and He's the one that that just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy did in 1 Thessalonians 3, he's the one we can depend on in the midst of anything. And, and, and the one that we can depend on for direction. I think sometimes we, we, we get tossed around with a, with a lack of faith and worry, and it's because we've forgotten who God is. He's, he's our Savior. Verse 7 of Titus 3, it, that's still on the screen, says that it, it's because of God's grace, we've been made heirs now of eternal life. Listen, we've entrusted our very soul and eternal destiny to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've trusted that. To, we've entrusted that to Him. We believe that in believer that as believers in Jesus Christ, our Savior, that will spend eternity with God in heaven. But we don't trust Him to direct our way on this earth. We've trusted him with our eternity, but we got the hardest time trusting him with our day-to-day. -day. We have to remember who it is that we're depending on for direction. He's our Father, and he's our Savior. And, and, and as we're depending on God for direction in our lives, like Paul, Silas, and Timothy were, we also need to, to remember what God wants, letter B. We need to remember what God wants. So, First Thessalonians, chapter three and, and verse eleven, he he wants to direct our way. Okay, so how God works is he wants to he wants to direct us. He wants to be involved in our lives. Listen, he won't speak audibly, but he's directing our way. 
But, but what he requires from us in the midst of that is exactly what we can see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were given him, which is their trust. He wants us to, to number one, to trust him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to have faith. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were, they were relying on and, and trusting and having faith that God would direct their way back to the Thessalonians. And, 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 and here's how I want you to see that, that Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 puts a, such a, a similar idea. And this is one of my favorite verses in, in the entire Bible. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You see, God desires for us to trust him. God's desire is to direct our paths in our lives while we trust him. He wants us to believe. He wants us to have faith. But verse 5 tells us what we're inclined to do and maybe most often do instead. Do you see what it is? God tells us not to lean on our own understanding, but that's exactly what we tend to do as opposed to trusting God. We lean on our own understanding. My goodness, that's, that describes perfectly what we're inclined to do. There, you know, there's, there's something that you really want to happen in your life, or there's something you really want not to happen in your life, and your mind starts going. This is how, this is how we do it. This is how we lean on our own understanding. That mind starts churning. Well, if this happens, then that might happen, and if that happens there, then there's a high percentage chance that this other thing will happen, and that won't be good. But maybe if this, that, and the other thing happens, then what I want to happen or not happen will or won't happen. That sound, does, that, does that sound like the, I, I mean, I only know it because I've done it before. I've got firsthand experience having done crazy things like that. But that's, that's what we tend to do. And God's trying to show us this morning that he'll direct our path, but he wants us to trust him. He, he's wanting us to, to he, he's wanting us to trust him and to Quit playing out all these scenarios in our, in our minds and remember who God is and, and rest in the fact that he's our father and, and he's our savior and he wants what's best for us and he's directing our path and he's directing our way. You see, he, want, he wants us dependent upon him, but it's also confidence and it's also faith. But, but man, we want to put confidence in the flesh so bad and rely on our own understanding. Philippians 3, verse 3 teaches us, though, that, that we're to have no confidence in the flesh. You see, but that's what we're doing when we lean on our own understanding. James chapter 4 and verse 13 describes it like this. Go to now, ye, ye that say... Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. And so in other words, we're going to go to this place, we're going to stay this long, we're going to make us some money, but there's something you should consider before making your big plans. Verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away 
For that, that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Listen, instead of putting our faith and our trust and our dependence on, on God, we have the propensity to lean on our own understanding. And God is saying in this passage that not only is it sinful, it's actually completely illogical because we don't know what tomorrow holds, do we? Our lives are a, are a vapor and tomorrow's never promised. And yet here we are trying to figure it all out like we have control anyway. So it's sinful and illogical to lean on our own understanding. But, but, but here's one of the reasons that it's so hard to trust him to direct our way and to direct our path. Please listen. It's so hard for a lot of us to trust God to direct our paths because we don't really want him to direct us. We want to direct him. We want him to do what we want him to do. And we come before him and beg him to do what we want him to do. But he wants us to let go and to trust and to have faith and for him to direct our way and our paths. So God wants us to trust and have faith in our Father and our Savior to direct our paths. And then he also wants us, number two, to acknowledge him. To acknowledge him. In our, in our cross-reference from Proverbs 3, 6 that we were, that we were in, it, it, it tells us, as far as our, our paths and our direction of our paths are concerned, it teaches us in Proverbs 3, 6, in all of our ways, to acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen, this is, this is a conditional statement. You acknowledge me in all your ways, and I'll direct your paths. And that's exactly what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did, man. They came before God. They, they acknowledged him. We saw that earlier in, in 1 Thessalonians 3.10. They, they prayed night and day about getting back to the Thessalonians. And, and that was David's desire as well in, in Psalm 27, 11. He, he, says, he says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and, and lead me in a plain path. In other words, he's saying, God, I, I'm acknowledging you and I'm coming before you and I'm asking you to teach me your way and to lead and direct my path. Lead me in a, in a plain path, or lead me in the straight path, or the righteous path. But, but he doesn't just want us to acknowledge him with our mouths. He wants us to acknowledge him with our lives, and he will direct our paths. Psalm 37 and verse 23, David says the, the steps or the, or the path or the, or the way of a good man are ordered or directed by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I've been young and, and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread, he is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. 
depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. You see, our Father and our Savior, He wants to direct our paths just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy believed that He would direct their path, but He wants us to acknowledge Him with our mouth and acknowledge Him with our, with our life. And then according to Proverbs 3, 6, He will direct our paths. And, and these verses in, in Psalm 37 are continuing to teach us that God orders the steps of a good man. God is ordering the steps of a man that's acknowledging God with their life. David goes so far as to say that, that even when he falls, the Lord is holding them up in his hand. Are you acknowledging him with your life this morning? And, and listen, there's nothing that happens on this planet that God doesn't appoint or allow. So, so if you don't acknowledge him, it, it isn't as if he won't direct you at all. It's just that you'll be outside of his will and his perfect plan for your life. So he may have to direct you through a few pit stops to learn some lessons along the way. So what God's saying to us is trusting him and having faith in him while acknowledging him with our lips and acknowledging him with our lives we can rest assured we're in the center of his will and he's directing our paths no matter what's coming along down the pike. So, so when, when good comes, praise the Lord, he's blessing us and directing us. And when bad comes, praise the Lord, he's teaching us and directing us. But we can rest and trust in him that he's directing our path in, in our way. And, and, when we, and when we realize that that God's our father and, and, and he wants to relate to us like a father and that, that he's also our savior and he's, he's already proven his love for us on the cross, then we can let go of whatever it is that's going on in our lives. We, we can trust him while we acknowledge him with our, our lips and our lives and, and listen, if, what if what if some of those prayers, as we acknowledge God with our lips and come before him in, in prayer, what if some of those prayers were like Paul, Silas, and Timothy's? And what if they were for people in ministry? What if we were more concerned with the eternal than the temporal? What if that was actually our heart? What, what, because I know we can relate to this struggle uh, to trust God with, with our money and our kids and our health and our jobs. But have you ever been so passionate about people and investing and establishing and reaching people that you just had to come before God and trust Him and acknowledge Him lest you just go out of your mind? You see, that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are teaching us from their lives in these verses that we've studied this morning. As we're, as we're about to pray, will, will you do some business with God this morning? Will you, will you evaluate where your heart's at based on where your prayer life is at? Will, will you do some business with God and evaluate if you, if you trust Him and if you acknowledge Him to direct your paths? And will you do some business with God and evaluate whether or not the eternal matters to you? Father, we, 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 we come before you and we're asking you to, to do the things that only you can do, God. This, 
as preparing this message was so convicting to me. I pray, God, that it would be as well in this room, God, because I, I know that there's a lot of ways that a lot of ways that we can grow, especially in, in some of these areas, God. We 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 instantly want to apply God's direction for our lives. We instantly knee-jerk reaction, apply that thing to all the temporal stuff. And you and you want us to, God. I, I don't want to discount that, Lord, but, but what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are also teaching us is in the midst of this, what are the eternal things that are such a burden in our lives? What are the eternal things that just have us so messed up and so, so messed up and concerned that we just got to let go and give it to you? God, I pray that that would be our hearts. God, I pray it'd be my heart. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.